following podcast is presented by Secret Room Multimedia. Boys and girls, children of all ages, Fair Point Wednesday proudly brings to you it's FPW Tag Team Champs of the World. Oh God, it's the Tag Team Champs. My main man, Nathan K. And then there's me, that's Craig Lewis. The Fair Point Scoundrels? We're Tag Team Champions? Sure. I, I guess, I don't know if that's taking cool. It. We're taking it. Does that mean we're going to have to like defend the title against somebody? Maybe in a TLC if, match. I don't know if I could take on like any wrestler. Tag and champ guy. <laughs> WWF attitude. That's uh, something else. Something else. Oh, oh, yes, it is. That's for sure. It was a whole world of its own, really. Yeah, totally. I, uh, I don't know. When I was younger, I was never really too into wrestling. Oh, no? And yeah, growing up, I mean, I was never into a lot of the macho guy stuff. We talked about this yes, before. Yes, the, the football episodes and the Rambo episodes. Yeah. Wrestling was no exception. Uh, but I did have a lot of friends that were really into it. And eventually... It was a kid's thing. Kids I, love that shit. Eventually, I did get one over into it later on, you know, around um, the end of the 90s. Yeah. During the Attitude Era. When this and, started. I mean, that, that was a big thing that it did. It drew in audiences of people that weren't really wrestling fans before. Yeah, we'll talk about the specifics of what exactly drew me in a little later in the episode at the appropriate time. Yeah, well, I guess unlike you, I was a big wrestling fan growing up as a kid. I loved that shit. I ate it up. I was a huge Hulkamaniac. I loved Bret Hart. As I got older, you know, the Attitude Era started happening. It it moved right with me, you know, to the things that I was more interested in. And it shocked and awed and, <laughs> you know, and I was just like, wow, we're going to get into some of the matches and some of the things they did on this fucking show in this few years that it ran. Yeah, all the defining moments that really uh, illustrated what this what this era was in wrestling history um it got pretty dark man it really did hopefully we can like all our episodes make this interesting for you whether or not you're a wrestling fan i have a feeling that some of the things that we're going to be talking about people that aren't wrestling fans never were don't give a shit about the attitude era or any of the wwf or e or whatever it is might at least be like wow i think i might youtube a clip from one of those things you're talking about because that's just crazy and it's always cool to get some context i mean maybe you're not super into uh Abraham Lincoln or Amelia Earhart, but you're like, yeah, it would be cool to actually know the story. So go back and check those episodes out then. Yeah, I don't know why the fuck you listen to this one then. You picked the wrong episode. No, they picked the right one. Being aggressive. Because we're going to have a lot of fun with this. You made me watch too much wrestling. It's just made me an aggressive, violent person now. I didn't make you do anything. (laughs) You watched that on your own. You could have just read books. And look, there's so much to the WWF Attitude Era. So, so much content. 
there's no way we could cover it all. We're not going to cover every storyline. We're not going to cover every superstar. And we're not going to cover every highlight of the era. And don't worry, because like your favorite wrestler will probably get their own episode someday. Perhaps. Maybe not if you never fucking request it. But go to, go to Facebook or you know YouTube or Twitter or just email us and you know let us know. We'll, we'll the, the, fucking rush it out. The the email is definitely fairpointpodcast@yahoo.com. Twitter being at fairpointpod. Everything else is just fairpointpodcast. I'm whatever respective thing it is. But as usual, we're gonna get to the topic a little bit later. I fucking saw Guardians of the Galaxy finally in theaters. It was such a splendid experience. I 100% enjoyed it. Everybody that said good things about the movie were spot on, at least to the way I felt. Uh, I'm sure you've heard them all before. Like there were moments. I've heard like, a lot of good things about it. I yes. was I was feeling truly like touched, like emotionally. And then within seconds, I'm laughing my ass off because that character just, you know, made an awesome quip. And uh, Bradley Cooper as Rocket Raccoon. Yes. I, I have no words. It was great. It was wonderful. Cool, because I can't wait to he see Rocket hilarious. Raccoon he in was, action. He was the big draw for me. Another one that was that was actually really funny surprised me was uh, the wrestler Batista played Drax. Okay, and he's a terrible wrestler. Well, in my opinion, he's a terrible wrestler. Uh, he's has terrible mic skills in the ring. I he was one of the reasons why it took me so long to go finally see this movie. And surprisingly, goddamn you, James Gunn, you made me laugh at something Batista said. So. It was just James Gunn that made it happen. Uh, or not going to even give him credit the for delivering the line right. <laughs> well, no, I mean, but damn you, man, you you did something to this man. You directed him properly, or maybe you just played the role to his persona well to the point where it was actually mockable and funny. I don't know. Well, good job, Batista. I'll give the, I'll give you that. Chris Pratt, great as always. I love I love this actor. Um, He's going to be in the new Jurassic Park next year. Cool, cool. High hopes. He's funny. Legitimately funny. And he's a good actor. He really makes you feel for his characters. Okay. Uh, you get really invested in his characters. So that's awesome. Great movie. Check it out. See it. Must see. Must see. I want to. I can't wait. Did you wait for the end credits scene? I sure did. So don't spoil it. We I don't want to spoil that. But I heard what it was that happens in it. And I was like, that's fucking awesome. But everybody that I know that saw it was like, nah, it was fucking lame. I was hoping for a really good scene and this was kind of lame. Well, they might've said this is kind of lame because it really had nothing to do with anything. And it left you more scratching your head Mm -hmm. about it than being like, Oh yeah. Awesome. Sweet crossover. But like, I think it was more of just a a throwaway gag at another Marvel character that you never would have thought in a million years would make his way into the movie. Yeah, he did say that it's just a funny scene. It's not a hint to the sequel. No, not at all. It's not a hint to the Avengers. It's just a funny scene. Speaking of funny scenes, that's a good segue to move into our news. But we got to like segue with like the track in between. Funny scenes. So speaking of funny scenes... The scene, Mount Pleasant, Tennessee. Craig, you ever get nervous like whenever you're talking about somebody or something and pull out your phone and check just to make sure you're not pocket dialing them? Always. Or is that just something neurotic people like me do? Uh, I used to have the phone that you have, and I used to do that all the time because it happens. Okay. More, it happened way more frequently with that phone that you have. 
Well, this is a different one. I don't have that oh, phone okay. anymore. But still, you I got an open phone. face to I it with buttons. It so much. It was yes. so easy for the shit to unlock on its own and hit send. Once it actually happened to me, I was uh, talking about somebody and my phone pocket dialed their sister. <laughs> but, and no puns intended, you know, like they also call pocket dial butt dial. I don't yeah. know. It was a reach. But dial. <laughs> this is something you might want to be cautious about maybe i'm not just a neurotic crazy paranoid person a man pocket dials the police and ends up getting arrested for possession of marijuana oh, and paraphernalia because he pocket dialed the police while he was talking about did you just do that <laughs> yeah i just i was playing with my phone and, and you accidentally dialed somebody it was like break rocks no it was probably oh. like voice recognition let me mute my phone as it should be during the recording of a podcast jesus christ you're like that asshole movie patron yeah, he was discussing the acquisition oh, of God. drugs with a friend. Oh no! While his phone, po- of course. <laughs> so he basically just confessed to the police for on accident. It was a pocket dial, yeah. And they were like, "Oh shit, where's he calling from?" And he's in a diner. They went Trace to the diner. It. They arrested him. How do they know well, who, they, what person it was? They searched his car or something. They found marijuana and paraphernalia. They they pinpointed it that exactly that they knew what booth he was in. I don't know. They probably traced the number and. But yeah, I mean, it'd be like, he's in this restaurant. And then you just go and you're like, which one is it? That guy with the dreadlocks. I don't even have a cell phone. Now you're just profiling. <laughs> the Rastafarian over there. I'm agnostic. I did elect to leave out the man's name and age because I don't think he deserves to have his life thrown away because he accidentally got caught talking about pot. Uh, no, he did. He already made a boner. We don't need to make it any worse. Right. I'm sure by now everybody's heard about this. Recently, they figured out who Jack the Ripper was. I I, I don't know. I'm calling bullshit, but go ahead. Are you? I don't know. Is supposed- was it Legos, Craig? Was it Lego Jack the <laughs> no, Ripper, No, it was Craig? a shawl, okay? It was it Lego was Jack shawl. the Ripper, sure. He was a shawl? <laughs> no, it was a shawl was used instead of a Lego to figure out who he was. <laughs> A bloody shawl that had his semen on it. Oh, yeah? Well, super dried up semen. They had to use a special. Um, and that proves that they know that this is the man that killed all those. Well, at least that man jacked off on this girl's shawl. Catherine she was a Endos. prostitute. That could have been any man in England's fucking semen. Oh, my God. Every man in England was Jack the Ripper. Oh, God, they're on to me. I swears it wasn't me. I was too busy locking matches. Well, supposedly it was a Polish immigrant named Aaron Kaminsky. Okay. And they said he was daft in the head and, you know, made, had lots of auditory hallucinations. So he heard voices and. Which was why he couldn't get laid, which is why he hired a prostitute. And then murdered her? Nah. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I don't think this proves anything. You know, the think fact so? that a prostitute had semen on her shawl does not. 125 year old the- semen. <laughs> it doesn't matter how old it was, it doesn't identify Jack the Ripper. It does in my book. It does in my book. It's the biggest breakthrough they've had in 125 years. But do you know what happened to this guy anyways? So so did they clone him? No, 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 no. Is this what the new Jurassic Park is No, you, got it, you, got, it, you got it all wrong. They can't do that yet. The new dinosaur in the new Jurassic Park's half cuttlefish, half fucking T-Rex, half fucking Velociraptor, and half fucking Jack the Ripper? Yes, but apparently his name wasn't Jack. Uh, oh man! So, uh, 
Well, it doesn't matter because after they questioned him, they said that he was crazy and sent him to an insane asylum. So he spent the rest of his life there anyways in the 1800s. So that was probably worse than getting the death penalty. <laughs> his name wasn't Jack. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> well, recently, in slightly related news... Recently, a Victorian-era weapon made in the late 19th century was discovered in a sock drawer. Ooh, and whose sock drawer? It's, uh, I don't know. Uh, but don't I think the they're, right they're selling it. They're auctioning it off or selling it on eBay or something. But What's so important about this Victorian-era weapon? It's pretty fucking crazy. It's like a combination brass knuckles, pistol, and switchblade, more or less. Huh. And you can just wear it, conceal it in the palm of your hand. Like so it's like a one-handed bayonet? Well, it's not with knuckles. It's it's small enough in the palm of your hand, so I imagine you shoot somebody from like this would be like one of those pea, sh- pea shooters, like, like the thirty eight specials and shit. Snub I, noses. I don't know. I don't know a lot about guns, so I have no idea like anything that you just said. But yeah, <laughs> uh, and I learned what I know from mafia movies. <laughs> you can flip out a blade. I don't know. It's a very interesting like. I can imagine why that would be safe back when there was, uh, what's his name? Norbert the Ripper or whatever? Uh, Aaron. Aaron the Ripper. The Ripper. <laughs> Aaron the Ripper. Hello. Hello, chum, I'm Aaron the Ripper. Nice to meet you. What's that you say, mom? My mom's talking to me. Those are just, the auditory no, listeners. Just like to knock one off on your shawl. Please. And I'll be on my merry way. Please, sir. Please, sir. Or prostitute, as I might say. <laughs> I, I don't mean you any harm. I just want to uh, look Rip at you, undress your knickers, and I want, to, I want to rub one of my blood monkeys out, here, and I just want to pop it onto your show. Or as I'll call it, ripping. That's why they call me Aaron the Ripper. I and rip one out, one not a Poor two. guy left, and next thing you know, next thing you know, a devious fellow named Jack shows up and murders her, and Aaron gets canned for it. Maybe it was the same person as the Spring Hill Jack. Aaron the Ripper. Yeah, you're right, though. He probably was the killer. It, was <laughs> it an wasn't acci- Aaron either. It was an accident, though. Every time, he's just the clumsy John. <laughs> <laughs> I pull out I pull out me new in- weapon that I got, and I'll accidentally hit the switchblade every time. Every time, I say, you, you like this little thing I got here? It helps me rub one out. It makes me feel all the importance inside. So then she's looking at it, and, and the knife slits her throat. Golly, mate, it was. It wasn't any of my own doing. I wasn't trying to hurt her. But then, you know, I got to make it look real. So I keep stabbing hers with it. <laughs> oh, wow. And, this and, then is I, and then I still ripped one off on a show. That was, <laughs> this happens to him every time. Every time he's out with a nice lady. Yeah, five times to be exact. <laughs> or six. <laughs> was there only six murders attributed yeah, to Jack Yeah, I thought the there Ripper? was so... It made you... You almost think like there was like 30... You know, the way it was, like, brought up as one of the uns- most unsolved, you know, serial killer cases, you'd think there was a lot of deaths. There's only, like, five or six. Covering the late 90s and early 
2000s, characterized by a sharp increase in adult content. It was one of the one of the most successful eras of professional wrestling. The WWF Attitude Era. It was violent as all hell. It was very sexually suggestive. The storylines were crazy and sometimes borderline unairable. They got into a lot of heat with USA Network and the other networks that aired the, the show. And all because of what? Because of a little feud? Oh my god, Craig, it was it was ridiculously inappropriate and vulgar and obscene. It really was. And as a young, like teenage mind. I had no idea like what the big deal was. I'm like, I get, yeah, but like, it's still good guys versus bad guys. You yeah, know? but one guy's and, like, a porn star, one guy's a pimp. They're doing <laughs> suck it. They're like chugging beer. They're fucking like pulling like guns and like mooning people. They're oh, having lingerie God. matches. It was incredibly inappropriate. Pulling guns on I can't people. Believe- By God, Brian Pillman's got a gun. Some of the catchphrases they had people repeating just walking around school like, and we're like, oh, what's the big deal, teachers? The Rock's just eating a piece of pie. <laughs> Nobody didn't think that he wasn't talking about vagina. But we didn't realize the inappropriateness and you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It was incredibly misogynistic, violent, edgy, uh, irresponsible. Risque. But hey, I still had a lot of fun watching some of it. I had a lot of fun watching all of it. I'm surprised. Like, my father watched it a little bit, and I watched it. And then, like, there were times we used to talk about wrestling, and then there was a lot he wouldn't really talk to me about because it was just, like, awkward, you know? Like, I mean, storylines where Velveen is about to get his dick chopped off. and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there was a lot of, I mean, my parents didn't watch it, but I'm sure they heard some of the things that got repeated and everything. And it is really like, wow. And it is also like the way to deal with every problem is to yell and fight about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Well, before we get too deep into this, we do have to mention one of the main heads, the big writers for the show, the booker, as uh, wrestling marks would call him, the guy that you know made the matches and stuff. Uh, it's more of a writer in WWE terms because they're doing stories. Vince Russo, right? Vince Russo. Well, that was part of his style, too, was putting a lot more emphasis on storyline and less of an emphasis on match. Shorter matches, longer right. promos. I mean, during the Attitude Era, there was so much more shit going on backstage than the, like, the things going on in the dressing room and outside and then the interview room were a lot more important than the actual yeah, matches should, taking place. Let's drop a few uh, wrestling terminology things here. So people know what we're talking about. The uh, dressing room is where they get dressed. The dressing room is where they get dressed. <laughs> a wrestler is somebody that competes in the act of wrestling and acts. <laughs> um, a commentator is somebody that commentates on the action. Okay. No. A uh, promo, like we said, or shorter matches. A match, of course, is a wrestling match. Yes. A longer promos. A promo is like when they go out there on the mic. They're either talking to another wrestler or talking to the audience. Yep. Or a combination of both. A shoot is when they're being interviewed backstage. And they're specifically targeting another wrestler. They're shooting on a wrestler. Really? Because don't they call it a shoot when they're just introducing like a wrestler and stuff, no. too? No. I mean, I thought it was just generally when they're backstage, one-on-one, the come. No, because those are just promos, okay. too. Okay. But, I mean, if, if a shoot is like when you're doing a shoot on somebody, like like uh, Shawn Michaels would do a shoot on The Undertaker. Okay. Got it. 
And then there's heels and faces. That's probably going to come up a lot. A heel oh, yeah. is a bad guy. A face is a good guy. And Very a tweener simple. is somebody that plays both parts. Okay. Austin created the tweener. And a lot of wrestlers, I mean, that's kind of a staple of wrestling, too, is sending the characters back and forth as the yeah. storyline changes and develops. But, in the, in the, I mean, a tweener would be at the same time. So, like... Uh, we'll get into we'll get into some uh, we'll get into my favorite tweener later once yeah, we get to enough. our top ten wrestlers list, which we're gonna do instead of top nine. Why? Oh, because <laughs> n- nine didn't fit enough wrestlers in. Right, nine's usually what we go. <laughs> we could have done. To- I could have usually... done top twenty easy. Right, but we're gonna get to that after we detail the uh, major history of the Attitude Era, starting now. Maybe now. Now. Ish? Sure, now-ish. Okay. Starting now-ish. So the time is 1996. King of the Ring is a pay-per-view, an in-your-house pay-per-view, which meant it was not one of the big four. And this is not necessarily the beginning of the Attitude Era. There's no set parameters. Like the Even official merchandise ranges from where it says that it begins. And in a constantly evolving storyline like wrestling is, it's really hard to pinpoint and exact right uh this isn't even exactly where i would say it starts the next t- subject is but this is as far back as it could date really it's 1996 king of the ring in your house pay-per-view which is just one of their other pay-per-views that's not wrestlemania royal rumble survivor series or SummerSlam. they had a tournament held to decide the king of the ring and there's crown and everything austin going up against jake the snake roberts who who had a little bit of an absence and when he came back he was big into the bible and stuff after Austin wins, commentator Grilla Monsoon asks him about it, and he just says, you talk about your Psalms and your John 316. Well, Austin 316 said, I just whooped your ass. And that was the first like edgy moment in wrestling, really. Of course, that was like the biggest fucking marketing thing. Like, how many shirts did you see with Austin, Austin 316 on it? No Absolutely. one even knew where it came from. Yeah. I knew mad people that I'd be like, what does that mean? They're like, I don't know. It's like a, something in the Bible or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was like he just kind of did his own thing. But, I mean, they, they say that because it was edgy because he kind of mocked the Bible there a little bit, you know? So, yeah, at that time in 96, Stone Cold is now about to start a following. That's when the whole 316 thing happened. Uh, But still a lot of wrestling was focused more on the gimmicky side of it. And if you ask me, it happened a little later was with the formation of DX and the whole Shawn Michaels-Bret Hart rivalry that was huge that was going on. Yeah, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart had actual real-life drama going on between them. Yeah, they weren't fans of each other. No. And at the same time, they were starting to be billed as arc enemies and two, the pretty much the two biggest ones Absolutely, in the yeah. federation at the uh, time. Brat Hart was still at the top of his game as the baby face, uh, the fan favorite. Everybody loved him. He was a nice guy. He was the guy that, after winning a match and the referee messed up, told the referee, no, we're restarting this match. Like, ugh, you're so morally superior well, to everybody Canadian, else. Well, he's Canadian, eh? That's what it's all about. Uh, uh. It, a big point of the rivalry, the on-screen rivalry, the kayfabe rivalry. Yeah. Here's another piece of wrestling terminology. Kayfabe, kayfabe is like keeping up character, not acting out of character, you know, acting like it's all real. So the kayfabe, you know, the fake rivalry, the rivalry on screen yeah. had a lot to do with uh, Shawn Michaels constantly putting down Canada and maybe Bret Hart putting down America and stuff. And Canada versus America was a little bit of a theme there. 
Yeah. Um, Bret Hart really didn't start to turn on America until this rivalry culminated. But yeah, because Bret Hart was still like, hey, stop making fun of Canada. Eh? And <laughs> and Shawn Michaels is like, ah, shut up, USA, USA. Dude, and- I've got to say, you, for being such a big fan of wrestling, you don't impersonate any wrestlers well. <laughs> Stone Cold was just like I'm Stone Cold, and then uh, I can't is, really get that Stone Hart. Cold. Bret Hart's just a Bret Hart's just Canadian, a normal eh? random Canadian, eh? And this is Shawn Michaels, apparently. Well, that's kind of like Shawn Michaels, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's Shawn they Michaels all kind of had all. a gruff in their voice. I don't know. I wouldn't impersonate Shawn Michaels like that. I probably wouldn't impersonate him at all. You just did, <laughs> like that, exactly <laughs> like that. That's how I differentiate. That's not me talking. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm Nathan K. Look at me. See, exactly. Perfect. Spot on. You do a perfect Nathan K. <laughs> well, eventually, Bret Hart was the champion, and he had plans to switch over to WCW. The, the enemy. The enemy. The competing force at the end of the year. World Championship Wrestling. Ted Turner's company. I did you ever watch WCW? Rarely, I never. Couldn't at once I started like like I said all wrestling was just lame to me in the beginning. And then once I got into it, I tried watching WCW and I was just like, "Oh." oh. Even when <laughs> it became really popular and it was beating Raw to me, it was just like, "Oh, now you just have the WWF has-beens." Right? The NWO was literally Razor Ramon, Diesel and Hulk Hogan. And all the up-and-coming stars that they had were just the WWF soon-to-bees. Yeah, so. exactly. Arm bar. No, I'm not even going to get into that. So Bret Hart was the champion, and of course they wanted him to give the championship up to somebody else. Not just give it up, but you know. Lose it in the match. In a match. When, like, he, when he leaves. Yes, before he leaves. And he was compliant with that. He was okay with that, but they wanted him to lose it at what was it survivor series yes survivor series and it was being held in montreal in his hometown and he was like was it his hometown even yeah i'm pretty sure they're from montreal okay well either way i know he's from canada yeah and he's like look i'm not losing to him at survivor series in canada like our relationship's been predicated on this canadian american rivalry and i'm leaving and all this and like we have a legitimate beef together like i i'm not going down like that i'll lose to him the next night on raw or i'll lose to him the night before on smackdown he actually had whatever it was plans of leaving with the title and taking it with him (laughs) really that's not what i heard that's what a lot of the speculation was yeah yeah of course but he says he was totally willing to but come on not in montreal at the fucking big pay-per-view as my last match against this guy that i legitimately hate Yeah. It is worth noting they have since patched it up, just for the record. So, well, that's good. The kayfabe turned into real life. Hatred finally resolved itself 10 to 15 years later. Or vice versa. Maybe the kayfabe turned into real life. Or no, that's what you said. Maybe the real life turned into kayfabe. Ah, perhaps. But, so, they finally let Brett have his little way, take his ball and go home. And uh, he was going to, he was slated to win. From If what he says is true, it was a reasonable request. This is business, man. This isn't about what makes you feel good. That's if not you, true. You're leaving. You're leaving to go to the enemy. You can fuck off for all Vince cared. <laughs> Vince being Vince McMahon, the owner of WWF at the time. And yes, still. That's, it's important that you know who that is, too. Um, obviously, the, the chairman and owner of the WWF. Yes. And at that point, he did used to be a wrestler back in his heyday. Yes, he was 
a commentator. He did a lot of ringside commentating and stuff like that and uh, wasn't an active part of the storyline at this point. At right. this point. Also, yet. he liked playing it as the ring announcer. He didn't like... Not a lot of people knew that he was the owner at that okay. time. Okay, okay. So it, it was played off. And this was another big thing because um, they have the match... And what they had finally agreed upon was that there was going to be a disqualification due to interference of some kind. He retains the title in Montreal, and he loses it as like his next match on Monday Night Raw or something like that. So the match goes on, and Shawn Michaels puts Bret Hart in Bret Hart's finishing move, the sharpshooter, which is a submission move. That's one of the ways you can end a match is by making a person tap out, which means the pain's too excruciating, so they give up. And he puts him in this move. Bret Hart doesn't tap out, yet Vince tells the guy to ring the bell. What was supposed to happen was one ref was supposed to be knocked out. They were supposed to keep reversing the hold, and he was going to tap out. Shawn Michaels was going to tap out, but the ref, ref wasn't there to see yeah, it. Yeah, didn't see it. So then somebody else comes in, and this thing goes down as a DQ. But referee, famous referee Earl Hebner. Who's, oh, yeah. Uh, a veteran of the WWE circuit. Yes. He was the one working the ring, and he claims that he didn't know about this until 10 minutes before, and Vince McMahon's yelling at him, fucking ring the goddamn bell. Ring the goddamn bell. <laughs> and uh, Yes, of course. He does. Flees in kind of a panic. He was friends with Bret Hart, too. Promised him he'd never participate in a screw job. But this was the screw job known as the Montreal screw job. The Montreal screw job. Bret Hart was pissed. He livid, got up. Livid. He was like, what the fuck? He literally spit in. And this was legitimate. Spit in his boss's face. Night and I are like, oh, Stone Cold poured beer over his boss's face. Yeah. Now, that was all scripted or, later. you know, it was kayfabe. And this it was, was later, too. He was pissed. <laughs> spit in his fucking face. Trace the word or the letters WCW and like I love you to the fans. Yeah. Stormed off. I guess what happened next was Vince and uh, all his like buddies locked themselves in Vince's office. I guess the Undertaker, who was, you know, good friends with Brett as were a lot of the wrestlers. Yeah. Like was just pounding on his door, like demanding that he come out Vince, and go apologize to Brett. What did you do, Vince? You owe him an apology. <laughs> He deserves more Vince. Just in character, because every because everything's real, everything's canon. So he's legitimately like this incarnation of evil. That's just like he deserves an apology. <laughs> what you did was not kind. In a hundred words or more, Vince. Obviously, a lot of people were pissed. Uh, eventually, he did an interview on air. Vince McMahon. Yes. Yeah. And only a few short weeks later, as opposed to long weeks later, <laughs> the evil corporate ultimate heel aspect of Vince McMahon being a, an active character in the storylines started to take hold. Yes. yes, absolutely. And I loved it. In the interview, they said, why did... Vince screw Brett, and then Vince just looks dead in the camera and says, "I didn't screw Brett. Brett screwed Brett. Love it. It's it's fucked up, but it's it, it every a lot of what the WWF did was really fucked up. Seriously, not 
not apologizing for that, but brilliant well. fucking marketing. And yeah, I have to say too about all the criticism about like storylines over matches and shit. That's what drew me. Somebody that's not into sports and stuff would yeah the drama really, aspect. Yeah, I wouldn't have been attracted to just the show with just wrestling. Now that did get me more interested in the technical aspect of it, but because there was more there, there were these colorful, vibrant characters. Some of them who were so very lovable, charismatic, some of them were hateable. A lot of them who were incredibly charismatic. Yes, it was like the renaissance age for for the wwf i mean all the top guys there's just too many to give belts to you know plus as a curious teenager slash preteen or whatever i was uh you liked sunny didn't you it was it was yeah it was cool to see some adult stuff that i didn't normally get to see because sunny sable deborah my mom was so worried about me watching hbo what i saw in wrestling was probably way worse than what i would have saw on hbo even if i didn't see like full frontal nudity commentator jerry lawler screaming puppies that's no that's the least of your fucking worries (laughs) and then actually seeing the puppies still least of your worries oh oh and then seeing somebody getting brutally assaulted with chairs so mcmahon's now this on-screen persona huge villain uh almost cartoonish and it's really well though it's funny too because in commentaries and behind the scenes things he talks about like he basically was just pretended to be the guys that he hated <laughs> just like a okay. huge asshole so that really wasn't him it was so kayfabe but he was a really kind of a dick i totally believe <laughs> that a little bit of it comes a little bit from him yeah it's like him embellished basically right and also at this same time stone cold's popularity began to increase and he was the everyman, I don't give a fuck attitude, I'm going to do whatever I want, fuck authority type guy. Not necessarily an everyman. It's funny that, yes, that is how he will be described, but no, just, really just kind of like blue collar, redneck uh, fantasy fulfillment. <laughs> Basically, yeah. And he didn't like what Vince was doing. Vince was trying to keep a tight ship, make sure everybody was doing what he wanted to do, all villainously. He Vince had his corporation group going right now with uh I think that was at this time the Rock was his the corporation's champ. Wasn't like the Undertaker and his ministry part of it for some point before that too or became, something? That became that was during the rivalry that happened. Uh, that was supposedly a big story arc too because it was actually the minist- Undertaker's ministry against the corporation. Okay, so much, yeah, so much <laughs> more convoluted storylines than fucking Marvel. Oh, way more. And at the same time, DX was also at it with a corporation. I mean. The corporation is just fighting everybody, basically. And then Stone Cold and DX are like, well, I don't fucking like you much either. So, you know, they'll fight a little bit and, you know, and. But the the big core thing, which really was the core conflict of the Attitude Era that developed, that emerged was Austin Stone Cold versus, versus McMahon. McMahon. The, the pissed off anti-authority anti-hero versus the pissed off evil corporate bastard. Yep. And no matter what Vince threw at Austin, he would always pursue severe he finally became the champion mcmahon didn't like that much at all it's so ridiculous too because it it depends on how seriously you take the stories yeah like because the the amount of seriousness they want you to take 
the stories varies with each exactly. angle. It's it's sometimes hard to keep up. Like Vince, why can't you just fire him? And like, oh well, he can, but he's not going to fire one of the biggest money. Ma- and there's all these things. But then it's yeah. sometimes like this some- dude just filled your Corvette with cement. Well, like he he's had him arrested before. Yeah. Well, why didn't you have him him arrested the next week or the week? Right, right. When once he the cops thing really blows my mind because like because the cops are really just independent wrestlers lo- that are local. What? Yeah, <laughs> but once you introduce cops to the storyline. And within canon, within kayfabe, I know I'm not actually supposed to believe that any of this is real. I'm just supposed to be entertained. But you're supposed to suspend your disbelief. I'm supposed to believe that Jurassic Park is real when I watch it. I don't believe that it really happened. But, you know, that's part of the deceit of the entertainment. Yes. It's putting your it's it's kind of spoiled when they involve cops because to me the only way is to just be like no nobody can ever call the cops that's just kind <laughs> of like just, yeah. no one can cops ever put together here. yeah no one can put together that Bruce Wayne is Batman we have to give him that right deceit for that universe to exist once they involve the cops it's like okay well how come when Undertaker dragged Stephanie McMahon the boss's daughter to the ring on a fucking cross and <laughs> JR's sitting there like oh he's gonna sacrifice her this is wrong <laughs> this is sick by and god she, somebody stop him she's screaming help me there's there's 3,000 people in this stadium and not one of you are calling the police. You're just cheering it on. What the fuck is wrong with you? Hey, I'm doing my part. I'm booing. <laughs> <laughs> like, if I'm supposed to believe this, this is real and Austin can have the cops called on him, why the fuck? Isn't anybody calling the cops? He's about to sacrifice her. In the Murder's of the a little brain. worse. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of funny because more recently they've had the cops involved in current wrestling going on with Stephanie McMahon calling the cops on on one of the other diva wrestlers. Uh, the storyline is just so incomprehensibly bad. It's, Stone Cold it's terrible. Picks up a car that Triple H is in with like a forklift and then drops oh, yeah. it from like eighty feet. And obviously that did, he wasn't really in the car when it was dropped. You know that's fucking yeah, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. But uh, he blows up the DX bus. He would he, t- why wouldn't they just call the cops on him? He runs over uh, the Rock's car with a monster truck. <laughs> he drives a beer tanker into the arena and then attaches the nozzle and sprays everybody with a hose of beer that's in the ring. Vince the Rock, Shane McMahon. If only there was something I could do about this. Cops him back like, that's damn entertaining. I mean, I watched stuff where uh, this, this st- the stuff where Cactus Jack introduced the Radicals into the WWF and he's like please give them a chance they don't have contracts they don't work for the WWF but they come out and cut the opening promo of the show (laughs) yeah because we would just let these people happen right like so can a fan just come down it's like Triple H is in the back like I thought The Rock was gonna be cutting a promo yeah, and that's uh, what's up with this. That's Who's where this the, guy? the suspension of disbelief happens. So just like when with any time in wrestling where it's like, oh, we didn't know this person was coming down at this time. Well, why did the sound guy know to cue his music? Like it, that type of shit. And it's funny because a lot of people say they don't like wrestling or stopped watching it when they learned that it wasn't real. And it's like. So you stopped watching when you were hopefully six or seven, <laughs> right? Or else I've... did you really think it was real up until you were ten or eleven <laughs> or fifteen? It's 
And again, and uh, this credence should be paid to wrestlers too. Like more injuries than any other fucking athletic. Oh, I'm I'm actually a wrestling fan. So I yeah, let me let me get on my pedestal here and, and defend it for a second. Uh scripted storylines, yes, you know who the victor is, and yes, when they do punches and kicks, it's not fake. It's not real. It's 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 a fake punch. And the action and is the action, choreographed yes, to, to a an extent. Point. To a certain point, to an yeah. extent, there is a lot of free form in there, but they know when they're they know how to take falls to minimize impact and injury and risk. But you're still you you can't fake jumping from a twenty foot ladder or the top of a twenty foot steel cage onto a table that has monitors on it, you know, and electrical equipment. Oh, all sorts of shit. I mean, the ring that's not like a soft mat. That's no, boards it's wood. Of wood. Yeah, it's wood covered in canvas. Yeah, it's. it's- so there is there is definitely uh a... And the outside of the ring is uh. literally just a small wrestling mat on top of concrete. They get slammed on concrete all the time and you know they they try to do as much as they try to do as much as they could to minimize the impact and hits. But regardless, when you're taking a chair, even hitting at 40% strength against somebody's skull, it's still going to leave a mark. Yeah, it's, it's still going to make your head ring. For for a lot, if not most people that get into it, it is a very self-destructive uh, career, too. So oh, yeah. It's not something you want to just be like, oh, cool, I like wrestling, so I want to get into this. Like, Not to say that if you're if you're really passionate about professional wrestling and you've, you know... Well, those people know. They know the risks involved to, yeah, already. So. That you shouldn't follow your dreams. Not at all. Not what I'm saying at all. But, like, yeah, it's, it's some serious shit. But even now, like, it was some serious shit then. None of that shit would fly or pass nowadays. Oh, my God. There was some really fucked but up shit that happened. But there's still a lot of things that can go wrong they're still jumping from 20 foot ladders they're still well i mean you even know. even sometimes when it's not directly involved with the action uh but just the theatrics we all i'm sure everybody's heard of the infamous death that happened fits right into our timeline right uh, now when, owen hart uh, owen hart the blue blazer he was going by at that time and that wasn't even an in-ring thing at all that wasn't even well, it was Any, in ring, but it well, had nothing yeah. to do with the But match. it wasn't a, a wrestling thing at all involved. It was a gimmick. It was a stunt. He was coming from a zip line at the top of the arena into the ring, and the zip line broke, and he fell about 50 feet to the ring. I don't think it ring. broke. I think the quick release was snapped because the gimmick would require him. He was supposed to act like he was entangled in it when it was yeah. like 10 feet above the ring and be like, fuck, why can't I get out of the mother? She was supposed uh, to be a comedy and then, gag. And then suddenly he falls like 10 feet, lands flat yeah. on his face for laughs. But he, he fell, fell from like, 78 feet. Holy yeah, a huge Christ. thing right in the middle of the ring. On live television. And well, it wasn't aired on television. There was, was a five a, second delay and they were able to cut it. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Though. Unfortunate things happen. I mean, at the even um, with that Mick Foley match, the, like you, you talk to the announcers and they were being serious when he him against Undertaker in the Hell in the Cell match. Where which one? The first the time first when one. he threw him off into the table? Yeah. Well, I mean, are you talking about which spot? Because there were three really dangerous spots in that entire in that match. When he fell through the cage. Okay. When he fell through the cage? Yes. Happened yes, yes. after... Yes, and that had much worse consequences on his body than uh, the actual first thing. But yeah. the first thing was just a better better piece of footage. So right, right. And circulated the, more. You, just, you see him fall off onto the table. Also, that was planned. And when he fell through the top of the cage... Was not planned. Was not planned. He was just supposed to be slammed on the top of the cage, and that was that. But he fell through. Uh, when he hit the ring, the chair that fell with him at the top of the cage 
knocked him in his head, and he actually was unconscious for a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. And we said it was the only time he's ever been knocked unconscious in the ring. And he got back up, and he still wrestled. Like, nowadays, forget about it. No, but what I was saying was the uh, the announcers, they didn't know he was supposed to be thrown off that ring, off the, the oh, no. thing. No, the announcers didn't. The wrestlers knew it was going to happen. Um, yes. The, nobody else did. And they're sitting there watching this happen, and he, Jim Ross, good old JR, was looking over horrified, and he was like, he said on the comment, by God, I think he just broke him in half. And he literally thought he was dead for a little bit until he started to move around. Yeah, there were points when Scary he was yelling, shit. like, he's dead and stuff. It's... Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, he had his tooth knocked out in that match. Half the match, he had the tooth in his nose. This man's had his ear ripped off. I mean, he's competed overseas a lot. He was king of the Japanese death match, which legitimately involved C four thumbtacks, barbed wire. Yeah, his fire. favorite weapon was a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire. Oh, pretty Nagan, hey Nagan, <laughs> hey Lucille, good to see you. So, moving on from uh, Austin, eventually he had to undergo neck surgery, and he had to take a vacation from wrestling. Oh, Austin? Do you want to know how that happened? Because it wasn't as exciting. Uh, Owen Hart, Mr. Blue Blazer, who ended up tragically dying, was in a match with him and gave him a standard pile driver, which was a normal move at the time. And it's basically you just put the guy's head in between your legs, kind of pick him up from his gut, and then fall on your butt with his head impacting in between your legs, but it's not really supposed to hit the mat, but his head slipped and there was about an inch and a half that hit the mat and jolted his neck up. He snapped his neck. (sighs) Didn't stop the man from wrestling, but it did delay him for a little bit. (laughs) Jesus Christ. And yeah, in storyline, they had him get hit by a car by a mysterious assailant. And in his absence, the rock who everyone knows, of course, he's a fucking cultural phenomenon. I never liked The Rock, was never a big fan of The no, Rock. I was then. Enjoyed The Rock and Sock connection. Didn't hate The Rock. Like I, I loved The Rock and Sock connection. I respected his place, but I was also like, I don't find him as entertaining as everybody, everybody else thinks seems to think he is. Yeah, I thought he was extremely entertaining at the time, which is funny because when he came back a couple of years ago, I saw it and was like, okay, now it's just tired and old. You're just repeating the same shit that made me laugh when I was 13. Yeah, that was me 14 years ago. Yeah. But he kind of took the place as major face, which was very unexpected because fans hated him. They tried to push him as a face. Yeah, at the time. Fans didn't like it. He he spent so much time being a heel, you know, with the Nation of Domination and then... Well, before that, fans just wouldn't accept him as a face. So he just kind of turned heel and then spent so much time as a heel, like you're saying. Yeah, and then as the corporate champion and then... Suddenly people liked him. They just started liking him because he would say things and they were funny. And, and again, probably Austin's absence. We uh, yeah, we didn't. We needed something, somebody else to love. Uh, like you said, the rock and sock connection. That's the one moment in the Attitude Era that really, like, to me, the funniest part of the entire Attitude Era was the rock. This is your life that Mick Foley did when he yes. brought down all his ex kayfabe teachers and the rock and sock connection was one of the endearing aspects that really drew me in. Yeah. Although one thing we really have kind of neglected to talk about yet is the main driving force behind the Attitude Era. <laughs> uh, the Monday Night Wars, as they were deemed. Yeah, wow. We should have brought this up way earlier. In the beginning. In the way beginning. earlier. You should, you should have started listening to a more professional podcast way earlier. Yeah, your fault, this not ours. This is like episode 70. Yeah, your fault, not ours. 
<laughs> we're dicks. We're such dicks. But yeah, the Monday Night Wars, WCW versus WWF. And there were actually a lot riding on this because, I mean, it, it was a battle. And if you're a WWF fan and WCW continues to win and continues to win they were on the ratings and they were consistently. For a long time. And that's then, so hard to believe because yeah, I thought it was so lame. To, me too. It was NWO. That's all, all it was, was that Hulk Hogan thing going on. Uh, but basically, whoever lost the Monday Night Wars was going to end up going out of business. And what was going on in the Attitude Era was their response trying to keep up with you know the NWO, trying to make it edgier than that, trying to make people tune in to Raw instead of Nitro, which it was, was a lot edgier. Yeah, and the way I saw it was... Uh, the NWO and Nitro was just like trying to be more like a gang almost, you know, like a gang violence. Nitro and is WCW's, WCW's Monday, Monday Night, Night, Night Game. Raw show. is <laughs> Raw is WWF's. Yes, so they were Nitro was aired live, and it started like an hour earlier than Raw, right? Yep. And then Raw was uh, taped back then. Taped what six days before? Yep. Nitro started doing this shitty thing where they would spoil the fucking matches. Oh, what dicks. They thought they were the the bee's knees here. Yeah, like, we're going to fucking just spoil matches. No one will want to watch it anyway. Well, it backfired on them. Yeah, suck it, They WCW. were One night they were like, oh, in case you're thinking about switching over to our competitor, don't even bother. We hear that apparently Mick Foley, who used to wrestle here as Cactus Jack, wins their title night. Yeah, I bet that's yeah. going to put a lot of butts in seats. Fap, fap, fap. Is what he said, yuck. They might as well have just said fap, fap, fap. Yeah, and basically. Fap motion. And, and what everybody did was... They're like, hmm, I, I actually want to watch that. that. 30,000 viewers switched over to watch Mick Foley win the fucking title for the first time and didn't watch on WCW that same night. Hulk Hogan knocked down uh, Kevin Nash, I think it was. I don't know WCW that well, with a finger poke. The finger poke of death (laughs) is what it was called. Ooh, I'm so shy. Ah, God damn it. I wish I didn't miss that. If only DVR was around then. Good move watching Mankind beat The Rock instead of watching that. And that was yeah that was one of the most memorable moments too that was one of the biggest moments in the the entire attitude which it's tough for me to say there were so many moments so many moments i got like there's so many things i want to bring up and mention that i'm like i don't know why because we can't really fit them in but the monday night wars were eventually lost um WWF did become so successful Thank and WCW God. became so unsuccessful. Yeah, and they just basically bought out the company. WCW went under and all those awesome so talent cheap. came over. We started getting all these other wrestlers and Thank God the the side I had chosen from and had watched from day one uh, was the winner. <laughs> to me, that's kind of like when the Attitude Era ended. That felt like a new era. It was exciting to be like, oh, wow, they're finally going to show down WWF versus WCW. Yeah. They had this whole angle where Vince's son bought the WCW. Yeah, it was so crazy stuff. Like, it, was, and it didn't live up to the hype that every, every, in their heads it was like Goku versus Superman. What if this could happen? It never will. But, and then it finally does, and it doesn't live up to the hype. <laughs> but, you still hating on that oh man but yeah i know what you're saying the thing i like to bring up is that well think of it this way now there's no competition to try to outdo so now it's just like okay yep. now we got this in the bag you know the writers can relax that's what the and, attitude era was born out of 
So yeah, trying to outmatch your your competitor, right? Uh, which is really what wrestling should be about, anyways. But <laughs> <laughs> microcosms. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, as you said, Shane McMahon played a huge part at the time, and he ended up yeah that thing with him buying out the company. It just started other storylines, and it was cool to see all those guys in there, but it wasn't the same. It was starting to lose its its sizzle. Uh, it wasn't shocking anymore. Yeah, and they bought him out, did the angle, and I think that's kind of when the Attitude Era ended. There's I could see that. There's so much that we really didn't cover. Like, so we didn't even many mention, We started talking about how The Rock became a big face. I mean, at that same time, Triple H who now pretty much co-owns the company, if not owns it, right? He is, uh, no, he's the COO of the company. The and it's, yeah, the coup, the chief operating officer. Okay. Uh, he is basically in charge, him and Stephanie together. He's married to the boss's daughter. Yes. And, and that's funny because that whole thing happened, kayfabe, in the Attitude yes. Era. Like, Stephanie McMahon was supposed to marry another wrestler named Test, and to spoil their wedding... Triple H shows up and goes, no, I'm sorry. Just before you guys say your vows, there's something I got to show you. And it shows Triple H in a convertible with passed out Stephanie McMahon in the passenger seat at a drive through wedding chapel. And they got hitched there. And it was like, do you? And then he reaches over and puts his finger on Stephanie's chin and goes, I do. It's really <laughs> it's like, fucking ridiculous. And it but, caused that. But that was because they course, really got married at that time, you know? She, well, that was before they got married. They yeah, got married but they were, they were together. They were going to get married. But so. she she's all, oh, my God, it's so horrible. And then two weeks later is like, we are a couple. We're the McMahon-Helmsley oh. era. I hate to say it, but when she gets loud, she has the most annoying voice imaginable. Don't hate to say it. It's true. When she fucking, when she's not yelling, it's, it's damn okay. true. like, oh, my God. So many storylines just to, I, I mean, to me, I really just want to gloss over a few just to get them off my chest because I just want to mention things that were big for me that happened. Uh, you got Crash Holly, a wrestler, winning the hardcore title and deeming it defendable 24-7 anywhere. That was pretty the big. The hardcore title was was awesome. Like when they introduced that, th- that was all my favorite. I liked it's fucked up because I'm not into that. I don't like fucked up. Like now I can't even handle it. Watching people get the shit beat out of themselves. Yeah. Then I still didn't. I still wasn't really into that. It was more the characters and the shit. I don't know how I like like was okay with a lot of the shit I watched. Right, then but that there was, was so a lot extreme. of crazy stuff going on. Like literally defendable at any moment. There was a scene where Sunny one of the managers won the title because she put her finger on the champ's chest and they did a silent count while he was sleeping. That's not what I mean, Craig. I meant extreme shit like blood and thumbtacks. Oh, and, yeah. Like, all that stuff happened, too. What the fuck are you? Yeah. What? That is, what? <laughs> all that stuff happened, too. Yeah, that traumatized uh, me. Al Snow versus Hardcore Holly fight going down into the Mississippi River, and they fought in the Mississippi River, and that's where the match was finished. <laughs> <laughs> at night is like literally 50 degrees maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh hey guys my bum my is bum on is the wrestler a... wrestler i was going to say my bum is in the river river i pooed in the river <laughs> sounds like Perfect something Tom, Tom Green, Green impression um you have Val Venus's many pornos that he had. We already talked about the I choppy choppy your pee pee. Well, Val uh, Venus used to be an actual porn star, right? And then he started wrestling. Well, I always thought that was kayfabe that he was an actual oh, really? porn star. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. Maybe it is. 
It's possible. Anything goes. I mean, but like he would always all have I the great is, one-liners every time. All I know is that it's real life that Undertaker and Kane are brothers. <laughs> Half brothers. Half brothers. <laughs> and and for reals, for realsies though, uh, what happened, why Kane is disfigured in the demon is is because he was in the funeral home that Undertaker set fire to. Oh, yeah, that's real. Yeah, that really happened when, when Kane was totally. a little child. So now he's became uh, the devil's favorite demon, uh, but eventually lost the mask. Realized he was bald. <laughs> Realized that didn't he was need like, oh, a voice fuck. box to talk. <laughs> like one of those, you know, things that people with uh, severe throat cancer use to talk. Another really cool. This might be a part where people who don't know the individual wrestlers are just lost. You can bail out now, I guess, if you don't know the individual wrestlers. Because from here on, we're just <laughs> going to talk about our top ten. So yeah, after all. <laughs> but when the Undertaker. Kane and Mankind were supposed to have a three-way match to determine the. It's called one a triple contender. threat match. I'm I'm sorry, but the three-way match kind of makes it seem right. a little more a suggestive than it is. A triple threat match to determine the number one contender for the world championship, yes. which Stone Cold Steve Austin was holding. Undertaker didn't show. It was just Kane and Mankind. Mankind refused to fight. He just sat there. Kane beat the shit out of him, threw him into the stairs, hit him with chairs, pile-drived him. Mankind just sat there, didn't move, didn't attack him, nothing. But still kicked out. (laughs) No, pinned him. He laid there, took the pin. They're like, Kane's the fucking number one contender. Uh, Because they're like, why the fuck didn't The Undertaker show up? Kane stands up, raises his arms in the air, then rips his mask off. It was The Undertaker the whole time. The whole damn time. This was by God. M. Night Shyamalan. This wasn't even a slobber knocker. This was when M. Night Shyamalan was writing for the WWE. Oh, oh. That's, it That's was just writing for WWE. Not, not yeah, it was, he was writing for WWE when he got his big break and made uh, Six Sense. Perfect timing, yes, absolutely. But no, that was a cool, cool moment. It was kind of like a, what? 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 Say uh, what? Then we had weirder ones, like <laughs> Big Boss Man crashing the Big Show's dad's funeral. <laughs> Big Boss Man was the police officer wrestler. Yes. Why didn't he ever arrest anybody? <laughs> he was just out to deliver punishment. <laughs> He's an ex-correctionals officer from County Georgia. Uh, but yeah, he showed up at the at this giant's funeral because they were feuding at the time. His dad actually died in real life. So I thought this was going a little too far at the moment, but Big Show was okay with it. Uh, starts making fun of Big Show's dad during the funeral. Oh no, it gets better. He uh, And then he gets in his car. Big Show comes after him, gets on the hood of the car. Bossman starts to drive away, knocks boss or knocks Big Show off of the car. So now the family's attending to him. Bossman goes and attaches the casket to his car and drags the casket down the street. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Oh, my God. Seriously. Oh, my God. <laughs> Other hilarious moments. Family entertainment. Yeah, exactly. Other hilarious moments, mostly involving DX. Um, They did a great mockery of the Nation of Domination where they come come out dressed as the members of the Nation Domination, which seemed a little risky at the time because it involved a bunch of white guys going in uh, blackface. Well, tell me you're going to bring up when they uh, stormed WCW. That was the next thing. Yeah, that was great, too. With a tank. (laughs) It was great. It was so awesome. They're just there. Because what happened was WCW's show was going on literally a mile and a half away from WWF's show. 
So they decided they were going to do that. And they stormed the place and they're banging on the garage door to let them in. And they're not opening up the door. It's funny because talking to Triple H about what had happened, he said, I'm just very thankful they didn't open up the door for us because if they had, I, 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 I have no idea what's do, going right? on. I have no nowhere to go. Just like, uh... <laughs> That's hilarious. Nuts. They almost made it in, too. They closed the door just in time. Almost made it in. More crazy things happening. Sexual chocolate Mark Henry and old-timer Mae Young have sex, and Mae Young gets pregnant and has Mark Henry's baby, but it turns out it's a prosthetic hand. And Mae Young was a like, 90-year-old woman or something, right? She wasn't 90. Well, she no, was like she 70 was 70 or something. She was close to her 70s because she just recently died last year. Uh, I think she was 92. So, But she was wrestling. in. So now, in her 70s, she's being put through tables. Like, th- that woman could take a hit. And she was awesome. But it was really gross and weird. And what's even funny is about a few years ago, when they had their big celebration, I think it was 20th year, they had, they had all these old wrestlers coming in and stuff. And then Mae Young shows up. And then this person in a giant hand costume comes out and is like, Ma! And is like, What the fuck? What did I just see? You know, because 20 or 15 years ago, she gave birth to a prosthetic hand. And it grew up or something. In the canon of this universe. Like, that's legit. Oh, yeah. Mike Tyson was also a thing in the WWE. Right? How weird is that? That For a was crazy. While. A few, at least a few weeks. And uh, there was the whole thing with him against Austin and siding with DX. But and it was all just a ruse. It was all just a ruse because he was the special guest referee for Austin and Sean. Shawn Michaels was really leaving because he seriously hurt his back a few months earlier against The Undertaker. And uh, they had to make DX continue without him, you know, because it was hot. It was popular. So they make it lose. They turn it so where Tyson eventually sides with Austin, punches Shawn Michaels in the face at the last, and then he's gone. Next night on Raw, Triple H is out there by himself. And things that people might not know, DX was literally ravishing Rick Rude, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and China. That was that. And it was after Shawn Michaels left, he brought in X-Pac and then uh, Road Dog and Billy Gunn as the New Age Outlaws okay. to the crew. That's when that DX formed. And Triple H basically denounced Shawn Michaels, said he dropped the ball, you know, said, Get, you know, you're a fucking loser, you're done, you're done. But okay, wow, the guy like destroyed three vertebrae in his back. And wrestled for two more months with it. Oh, it was kayfabe, man. <laughs> no, the injury was real. Yeah, but Triple H being a dick about it. Oh, was yeah, kayfabe. absolutely. Absolutely. Totally kayfabe. Craig, do you have a favorite commentator team? Is it JR and the King? Yes. Okay. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's Well, actually, I, I guess I could say, I don't know about team, but if I can make my like fantasy commentator Ooh, lineup, yeah. it would be uh, three people. It would be... Well, that's just unheard of. That's just ridiculous. That's how it is now. That's how you're going to win the new Monday Night Wars. Create your new fucking FPW Wednesday Night War. Three commentators. Well, that's how it is now, anyways. So. Oh, really? Yes, there's three commentators. It's uh, Jerry the King Lawler, Michael Cole, and John Bradshaw Layfield. Bradshaw the wrestler? Yes. Oh, okay. He became JBL and like the the Texas, New York million self-made millionaire. He won on the stock markets. He's now rich as fuck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but anyways, my dream team would be and I can count this because he did it a few times. CM Punk, 
that actually commentated when he was hurt. So okay, great mic skills. My favorite wrestler all time, I guess. Now that's maybe not all time, but he was my current favorite wrestler. He's no longer with the company. Sad. And anyways, he would be on commentary with good old Jr. Jim Ross and Vince McMahon. Okay. My favorite commentator team, and nobody else seems to be with me on this, but my favorite fucking duo was Taz and Michael Cole. Taz and Cole. I'm sorry, but the chemistry between them, I know Michael Cole gets a lot of shit because he, he fucks up a lot. He like sucks. at least he used to. Okay. <laughs> I don't think he sucks. Well, no, there but, was, it's just if you watched in 2011, 2012. I didn't. I haven't or watched in so long. He got so annoying. He had this thing called the coal mine where he locked himself in a little box aside from all the other commentators. Uh, <laughs> and, what? And he was just like metaphorically sucking the Miz's dick. Uh, he, was the, he was such a heel. And there was sometimes it was genuinely funny like when during a boring Divas match – was happening he would just get up on top of the announce table with a microphone and go excuse me excuse me okay we're done watching you because you stink now we're going to talk about something i like like me are you serious yes this really happened he's way different he did not used to be like that oh, at he, all during he's, the he became era. so um well he's not like that anymore he's back to being a little bitch <laughs> okay <laughs> but he was well, like that for a couple of years he played the perfect straight man to Taz. Taz was an ECW superstar who came to WWF, had pretty good, moderate success in the WWF, but injured himself and couldn't continue wrestling. But he had gotten pretty popular. They didn't want to take him right out, and they let him do some commentating. And I thought he was fucking hilarious. Yeah. I was never a big fan of Taz. They were SmackDown commentators at the time. Yes. And uh, Sunday Night Heat. They hosted Sunday Night Heat. And just the way they interacted was fucking great. Like, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. There you go. Um, that's respectable, though. I can respect it. I do want to make a change. I would rather instead. I need a, a serious heel on the commentator team. So I'm scratching Vince McMahon because at the time when he did commentary, he was a face. Okay. Bringing in Bobby Heenan. The brain has to be on that Who's team. Who's that? I don't know who that is. He was a manager in old school. He basically was fired from from the WWF when Ross started in the early 90s. Okay. But he was one of the greatest. Uh, he was a heel manager, and then he was a commentator for a while, and he was a heel commentator, and he was funny as all hell. Where's Jim Ross now? Is he not around anymore? Uh, he still JR. works with a company. He doesn't do television. It's been harder and harder for him to travel with the company since the stroke. He, he has uh, some type of disorder. Cerebral right? palsy. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's yeah, so, so half of his face is just shut down. That man has cerebral palsy. And look at like how much of a public speaker and like public figure and yeah. charismatic individual that he was. That's, that's amazing. He dude. still does a lot of blogs for it. He scouts a lot of talent still for them. Uh, he sells his barbecue sauce, JR's barbecue. You can find it on wweshop.com. Excellent barbecue sauce, by the way. I, I don't, I don't know if anybody even really knows or cares, but goddamn it, best barbecue sauce I've ever had. If you want a good flavor, it's slobber knocking. <laughs> yeah, slobber knocker hot sauce. <laughs> Something. <laughs> it's slobber knocking good. All right, <laughs> so let's get into our top ten. Attitude Era Wrestlers. Yes. No, let's not. As usual, though, we do want to mention that these are not the top 10 best Attitude Era Wrestlers. They're our personal favorites. People that stuck out to us. Yeah, if you ask me to make a top 9 best Attitude Era Wrestlers, way different than the list you're going to hear from me. 
I okay. guarantee you, Craig, I have Fair a enough. lot of people probably on my list that are not on anybody else's oh, yeah? list. And I'm so excited to hear your list. Um, this this is going to be so fun for me to hear what you have to say and to, to let you know what I have. And a lot of them are probably really going to surprise you too because I know you have a idea of the type of characters I like. And yeah. you know I'm there's a certain type of character that usually doesn't appeal to me. And I'm sure there's a few characters that you already know are probably going to be on my list, but there's probably a few that will surprise you and be like, wow, I didn't know that was really, I never pictured that as a type of character he would identify with or appreciate. Yeah, that's great. I'm loving it. But also for my list, I want to say, I wanted to try to get back into my state of mind then and give my top 10 from when that was actually happening and not just retrospectively looking back at it. Okay, mine's probably a mix of both. And we did set a rule that it was okay to put a tag team if they're known as a tag team. So if you really like them both, you don't have to use up two spots on your list. Right. But before we get into that, I have a few honorable mentions. Crash Alley, D'Lo Brown, Al Snow, Steve Blackman, Rikishi, and Val Venus. I have a few honorable mentions as well. Uh, most of them happen to be just a lot of the ECW guys. Uh, Raven, just incredible. I really okay. wish they could have made my list. You you were a, you like Just Incredible? I was, I did I was like never Just a fan incredible. of his. No, I did. I, I like Just Incredible. Raven was awesome. Tommy um, Dreamer was he on your? Was he an honorable mention of yours? No, but I think that might have been because I didn't actually watch a lot of ECW. Okay. I knew I had heard of them, and when they came into the WWF, I liked them, and I kind of gravitated towards them because I do gravitate towards a lot of the hardcore wrestlers. Right. You know? So a lot of those motherfuckers, sorry you didn't make the list, but uh, let's jump in. Who are we going with first? Craig, I want to know, what is your number 10 favorite WWF Attitude Era wrestler. Yes, we're calling it WWF because that's what it was called then. My number 10 is Y2J himself, Chris Jericho. Oh, really? Yes. That's awesome. Uh, I actually became more of a fan of his later in his work. So that's why he's only number 10 for me. Chris Jericho is on my list as well. Okay, so... But we can talk about him now. So charismatic. you want to talk to him now? Absolutely. One of, if not the most charismatic individuals on my list. He's such an awesome, nice guy, too. Like, he's, he's on his own podcast now. Uh, he's got his own web series, too. Web series. comedy web series yeah. with some really funny people that you totally recognize. He's great. He calls himself the Ayatollah Rock and Roller, which, actually, that's the one thing I disagree with. Your band Fozzie sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't like that kind of rock. But at least he tries. He's doing other things. Even when he's being pushed as a heel, he's too entertaining for people to not love and cheer for. Right, right. Like, he came in as a heel, uh, interrupted The Rock during a promo, and... Just talked shit about the company. About the company, yeah. Saying he's going to be the savior. He's going to bring the ratings from... (laughs) He had one of the best entrance themes, too. Absolutely. Intros... It was Break so great. the he, walls down. And the countdown. It would go black and it yeah. would count down. Like they treated him seriously from his moment entering in. And uh it's too bad that he didn't get enough of a face puss of a face puss. 
enough of a face push as I think he deserved, but he did get a pretty good one, especially considering they entry level pushed him into he that. He got a big push after the Attitude Era. He became the first ever undisputed WWF champ. That was when they first mixed the two titles, the WCW title and the WWF oh, title. Oh, it was called the Undisputed. Yeah. I thought you meant like he was the first champion that nobody disputed. Like back <laughs> no. up until then, everyone was a, at least someone was a dick about it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, but yeah, yeah, there was so much and he actually every time he goes away for a few years then he comes back and then he goes away for another year then he comes back and he always comes back as a face but then it eventually turns out he, he kind of makes a great heel so he, he eventually just becomes a heel again but and, then people like him too much so he, right, becomes, he becomes a, a face. face again and it's like every time he comes back it's it's the easiest easiest thing to do in wrestling is to make a face out of a big wrestler like that the easiest way to make them is have them take an absence and then they come back and everybody's excited to see them, you know? So boom, your face, everybody loves you now. And then it's so easy to make anybody heal at any time. Cause all they got to do is do something that you would think is morally wrong. <laughs> so you're number 10. So my number 10, and let me say that it was grueling and really difficult as it is with most top 10 lists I put together to really rank them in a hierarchy. I know who my number one is. I know who my number two is. Beyond there, it gets really difficult. It's just kind of a mishmash in order. of So if things. you ask me next week, my order might be different, you know? <laughs> but my number 10 will probably always be my number 10 in a top 10 list. And he'd probably be my number 20 in a top 20 list. He'd be my number 30 in a top 30 list. Oh, just somebody you needed to include but got at the end. It's Al Snow. Oh, yeah. What does everybody want? <laughs> I'm not dignifying that with an answer. What does everybody need? I'm not dignifying that with an answer either. Do you remember when uh, he had his dog, Pepper? Yes. And Big, Big Boss Sh- Man. Big Boss Man. Fed yeah. Pepper to him. That was so like traumatizing to me as a child watching that. The realization on Al Snow's face that he just ate his dog like... What an entertaining, ridiculous character. <laughs> he was psycho. He was insane. He, he was crazy. Yeah, and schizophrenic to the max. Sympathetic and friendly at times. And just always, a, I thought he was always a fun entertainer who gave it his all. Yeah. He's not a bad wrestler technically, but he's also fun to rib on and shit on. So. Right. He, well, he started what was known as the job squad, which in wrestling, this is a, a term we haven't used yet. A jobber is something that goes out and just isn't. Uh, a push or a huge draw so they just are there to make the other wrestlers look good and to lose right but he did have the hardcore title for a while a few times right a couple times moving on to number nine we already talked about him briefly earlier and his tragic demise owen hart god i he he got so much flack but he was so great he was an amazing in-ring technician uh, he trained with his brother, Bret Hart, who was the excellence of execution, and he was always in the shadow of his big brother, Bret. Okay. And this was reality, not just kayfabe, but it was both in actuality. Uh, I loved when he came back as like the, the dangerous, more edgy Owen Hart, and he joined the Nation of Domination for some reason, which was at the time like a Black Panthers spinoff. So it's kind of odd that Owen Hart, a Canadian, <laughs> is joining that faction. A white Canadian. There, there are black Canadians, Craig. A serious okay, but when you're a stereotypical thought of a Canadian, that's Owen Hart, blonde Black hair. Panthers. Yeah, yeah. By any means necessary, eh? I am not a nugget. 
that was his big thing. Everybody was calling him a nugget. I think uh, The Rock had said something about that at one time. So then he, a I, nugget? Yeah, so because he was what short. What does that mean? Oh. Like a chicken nugget. Like he was tiny. He's a shrimp. Okay. Like, so like the whole crowd would start chanting, nugget, nugget, nugget. And he just, I am not a nugget. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, anyways, okay. My number nine is Molly Holly. Molly Holly, you Molly say. Holly. And because we can include tag teams she's also kind of accepting the number nine spot on behalf of molly and crash holly because it's hard for me to put molly holly on the list and not put crash on the list yeah they were tag partners in mixed matches but i love them both individually as characters you know what i mean not so much hardcore holly hardcore holly's (laughs) awesome but crash and molly those were my fucking shit but i like them as individual wrestlers not necessarily as a tag team great tag team but if I if I had more spots to put them both on my list, I would. But I'm kind of cheating and throwing them on as a tag team because I want them on as individuals. Yeah. Eh. Uh, Molly Holly always came across to me as that innocent, naive country girl, you know. And Crash and Holly was kind of the innocent, naive. Dumb country boy. Yeah. yeah. Like, not redneck. Not like... Like, heck, like they were stupid country. Like, no. they were just really happy, cheerful, friendly. Like, Inexperienced almost, oh, you know. Yeah, gee golly, you know. Yeah. Which just made me think I needed to add one more to my honorable mentions, the hurricane. Sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. The only yes. superhero wrestler gimmick the they hurricane. had. I almost wish he could have made my list, but you know what? Maybe... Stand back. There's yeah. a hurricane coming through. He'd be on my runner-ups. Yeah, he wouldn't make the list, but he really should be on there. He's fucking awesome. Rest in peace, by the way. He got into a serious car accident or motorcycle accident a few years back. So sad. My number eight, as you had said, we can mention tag teams. It's... It's weird because there's actually a few tag teams in my top list. Uh, The Hardy Boys. For a second, I thought maybe our number eights are the same. But no, you went with the fucking Hardy Boys. At number eight. What are you, a fucking 11-year-old emo kid? At the time, yeah. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I actually liked Jeff Hardy much more. I thought Matt Hardy was kind of a bland character, but they made a great tag team. And I I wasn't so much of a fan of Jeff Hardy on his solo career. But I loved them as the Hardy Boys, but mostly Jeff. See, I I owe them all respect as great wrestlers, a great tag team. Yeah, high flying risk takers, great technical wrestlers, great hardcore wrestlers. They're they're good wrestlers. I just at the time period when I was watching them, they were the fucking kids wrestlers. Like, oh word, if you watch Sunday Night Heat because your mom doesn't let you watch Raw, then <laughs> sure, the Hardy Boys are your favorite tag team. Ouch, the Hardy Boys totally showed up on Raw too. I know, but I, I <laughs> but mean, yeah, like, I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, uh, I just they was were like, that, eh. which is weird because. Jeff Hardy had a serious uh, drug abuse problem with recreational drugs, not like painkillers or steroids. Or steroids. He he was he had a serious issue with ecstasy and uh, methamphetamines, and he was such a high flying crazy dude. So that was really awesome to me. Like this was the man who climbed up to the top of the Titan Tron and dove off of it. Now you're talking about a 45 foot drop here. No fear, man. No fucking fear at all. Dove onto somebody else, you know. And of course, it was staged that way for him to do it, you know. So like, there was padding that doesn't below make the real it thing. Any less yeah, fucking... you're still falling on somebody else. And it's onto live. This. There's no double takes. There's no. Right. Let me do that one again. There's no stunt man. 
My number eight, Spike Dudley. And again, I'm kind of cheating because I can't leave the Dudley boys off. So it's Spike Dudley as a representative of the Dudley boys. Oh, okay. So you liked Spike Dudley more? I really liked Spike Dudley a lot. But as a tag team, the Dudley boys, Devon and uh, Bubba Ray, Bubba Ray, great tag team, like them together. But as a solo, I like Spike better than either of them. Okay, so, really? Yes. I would not be able to like one over the other, but I probably would have left Spike out of it. I was never a huge Spike fan. No, I like Spike. He's the runt, the runt of the litter. Like, yeah, the run of the litter. Like, I never really got into the uh, joke wrestlers they had kind of for that. Like, Spike Dudley, Gilberg, a, and... Spike Dudley's a real hardcore wrestler, dude. He was big in ECW. He's done some fucked up shit. Yeah, but they treat him like the joke in the WWE. True. F. I'm sorry. I keep calling it what it really is now. I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there before you do your number seven. My number seven was Chris Jericho. We already talked about him. Okay. What's cool. your number seven, Craig? My number seven is another tag team. Uh, Edge and Christian, otherwise known as the Brood in the beginning. Well, part of the Brood. Yeah, Edge and Christian are awesome. Yeah, uh, but they broke away from the whole Brood thing, and, the, and uh, they started their own oh, Edge and Christian. Yeah, remember awesome. when they were like... Yeah, I remember. Let's, uh, moving on to number six. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I keep spoiling it for you. <laughs> I'm just going to move on to my number six. My number six is, to me, the definitive tweener. You've got your definitive heel like McMahon. You've got your definitive face like The Rock, even though he was a heel for a while. I still think eventually you can't set. Or we'll say Crash Holly is a definitive face. I can't imagine ever painting Crash Holly Crash Holly was a heel for a while. In the WWF? Yeah. What? As the hardcore champion, too. Because he let the cracked up gold get to him. Okay, well, anyway, my number six, I think when he wanted you to hate him, you hated him and you loved it. When he wanted you to love him, you loved him. Maybe not you, but he could make the crowd hate him and make the crowd love him, depending on what was needed. Kurt Angle. Ah. Your Olympic champion. You suck. You suck. I loved you it. Suck. It's because Da-na. all the qualities that make him a heel are the same qualities that make him a face when need yeah. be. And it was perfect how on a dime he could fucking switch it like that. And go back. The next Raw, you're thinking he's a heel again. And the next week, he's he's playing the face again. It, I thought Kurt Angle's character was fucking so awesome. So funny. So funny. He had uh, – I was actually just saw a clip from the Attitude Era when I was doing research earlier today. And – it was him talking to the Godfather. He just pulls out a condom. He goes, you see this? This is a prophylactic. You ever heard of it? No, probably not. Oh <laughs> he's just dangling this condom. <laughs> not even in the wrapper. Just out of the wrapper dangling. <laughs> and, and this is an Olympic gold medalist. A yeah. legitimate wrestler, mind you. <laughs> yeah, he, that wasn't kayfabe. He really was... An Olympic gold medal. Oh, I thought you were going to say he really 90s. was challenging him to use <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And the other big thing for Kurt Angle that I remember was uh, you probably, this is probably one of the reasons why you loved him too, when him and Austin were feuding and he gave Austin the milk bath instead of the beer bath. <laughs> he came out in a milk truck and just hooked up a hose yes. and sprayed him with milk. I didn't remember until Hilarious. you brought it up, but yes. It really is. It's funny that you said Kurt Angle because I really thought you were going with Edge and Christian there because that's when you wanted to talk about him. But I'm assuming it's going to be later then. Later. Okay. (laughs) 
Number six, I broke away from the tag teams with half of a tag team because unfairly, I really didn't like the other half at all of this tag team. Uh, the Road Dog. Really? I really did not. I was not a fan of Billy Gunn. But Road Dog is But I loved Road Dog, yeah. At the time, he was, to me, he was so influential. Like, as you heard the opening, like, I memorized his intro and everything. I just loved it whenever he was on the mic. Not the best of technical wrestlers. I know. Not the greatest wrestler, period. I just never was all that interested in him. You you know what? You should meet my girlfriend. Neither was she. She doesn't like... Road dog at all, so maybe the two of you would hit it off. All right, from here, my next two are actually probably my two favorite heels of all time. So the top three are faces. Not necessarily, yeah. just that these next two are my two favorite heels. So first we're going to go in with number five, obviously. Okay. My number five, I think I can say that I know for a fact this is the only time they have ever been on anybody's top 10 wrestlers list oh god here he comes i guarantee it it's right to censor isn't it it's wow you called it it's steven richards yes oh my god yes awesome i i am sorry but even the fact that he was such a jobber and for so long he was the definitive jobber beyond al snow um was just a regular old wrestler but one day he became super fucking uptight we should censor all the bad shit like, yeah, me, and that was a mock on the networks at the time. But he played it so well. He looked like there was some fucked up shit going in his head, <laughs> like a sick cult leader yeah. who tries his, who tries to use this sick version of purity to like mask their evil urges. And like he really played it well. And you never knew who they were going to strike next. They would induct and brainwash different wrestlers. They inducted Val Venus, the porn say, star. Val Venus, yeah. the Godfather, the fucking the pimp. Pimp. He became the Good Father. Now. Who I can't remember the name of the chick that was started Ivory. with him. Ivory, that's right. And Bull Buchanan. And Bull Buchanan. Cat actually joined, but it was like right. right before she quit. So she joined and then quit and was just swept right under the rug. There's actually a time where um, I saw a cat and I'm like, who the fuck's that? And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Fucking cat. In a way, to me, Steven Richards was the ultimate villain. He wasn't. My number four deserves that title better than Steven Richards. But but we're getting ahead of ourselves. To me, though, like something we didn't mention was WWF Attitude, the video game for N64. And PlayStation. I had it for PlayStation. My favorite uh, WWF video game, period. Okay. I loved that game. Me and... Uh, a couple of my really close friends had our own sort of league going on with the video game. We had our own storylines, our own champions. Because that shit was possible. And it was so cool. That was like the first game that that shit was possible and it was yeah. done well. And, and we somehow have each other face off to like win the titles and so great. build so the storyline. Right to censor, we would have it expand and throw other people in there. He became a huge Sweet. heel in Sweet. our fucking storyline. That's pretty like, awesome. And it's funny how they did it so good there for their first shot at trying that. And then they just failed every other fucking year <laughs> of, with their video games. And I'm just like... Okay, great. You got the graphics down fine. Now you got, you know, all the way that they move and shake down in the ring fine. Now work on your fucking story mode. Make it last more than one year and then it doesn't recycle itself. <laughs> well, my number five, I feel like you're going to say, let's move on. Let's skip. Let's uh, let's talk about it later. No, this better not be another Chrono Trigger fucking situation. Motherfucker. Oh, it totally is. Number five. Number five. Number 
five. And you're going to be so pissed at the, at the four ahead of them. Five. Yeah, you're going to be pissed at a, at least a few that are ahead of him. Mankind, i.e. Mick Foley. You didn't even call him by his name. Mick fucking Foley. Mankind, Dude Love, Cactus Jack. Uh, he he was great. He really was. And by me putting him at number five, in no way makes me, makes me think that he's lesser of a talent. He has actually had a bigger impact on the on the attitude era then uh number 5 really gives him credit for but and I respect that and I respect him but I just liked these other guys a little bit more just and just very cuz really number 5 to number 1 it's like the varying degrees of me like them is not very much it's That's fair it's very slim in between them so they're all close for me after that and the reason why he got knocked at number 5 is cuz I didn't really like dude love okay. sorry I I I liked three of his four personalities <laughs> so because he had the one that I didn't like, he got knocked number five. So my number four, the ultimate heel. And I also say this with reservation, not only for Steven Richards, but Vince McMahon is kind of the ultimate heel. Ultimate heel. Yeah, he is really. But I'm going to say the ultimate heel who was also one of the best wrestlers both at the time and probably still now. I don't know. I don't watch. For the record, Vince McMahon's not on my list. Yeah, he's not on my list either. Because as as much as he is like the ultimate heel, and he played such a huge part, and he really was a wrestler, he wasn't, he wasn't an attitude really era wrestler. wrestler. He was a much earlier era wrestler. He was yeah. an attitude. Era I mean, he character. wrestled in the Attitude Era a couple times. He was an but... Attitude Era character. Yeah. So for number four, the ultimate heel that can also back it up because he is that damn good. Dolph Ziggler. I just said he's that damn good. You didn't get it off that, Craig. Oh my God, Triple H, man. Yeah, yeah, Triple H. That was his catchphrase, cool. wasn't it? It was. Was it? I am that damn good. I don't really remember that. <laughs> I, I remember. Swear. Suck yeah. it, suck it, suck it, no, suck it. No, after that, when he oh, was the big that. heel, the when enemy he was of the, the rock, game? the man who fired Mick Foley, yes, the when he game. was the game. I Yeah, you're right. No, you're right. I am the game. I am that damn good. He was such a bully, such a perfect character to hate. I would never was that put a, a character like this on any of my top ten lists. It boggles my mind that he is, but he was just such an entertaining villain to hate. He cut great promos. He he was intimidating. He was I hated him. He was great. And he he, he hurt me when he got rid of McFoley. He fucking <laughs> I, He hurt you. Dude, I couldn't give a shit about The Rock. And yet, even as the main antagonist to The Rock, I was still yeah. able to be like, Oh fuck this guy every week but with a oh fuck this guy yeah Wait, triple was this h. when it was uh triple h versus the rock for the wwf title or back in the day versus for the intercontinental title i'm just saying once no for the WWF championship title. title once stone cold was gone and the rock filled his okay. shoes and okay the mcmahon helmsley regime reigned supreme yeah uh was that before he got motorhead to do his uh intro music both. I remember when that happened. I am the game. You don't want to play me. I am control. Nobody can shake me. Yeah. Nobody can shank me. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> nobody can shank me. <laughs> I I think. I don't know. My number four. Uh, you briefly talked about one member of the trio earlier. 
the Dudley Boys. I hated these guys with a passion. And really? sometimes I loved these guys with a passion. Uh, they were great at what they did. They were insane. Absolutely insane. Devon, get the tables! It's like something that just continuously rings in my head as a wrestling fan. And they, like to me, they were the epitome of... Um, Tag team hardcore. I had to switch it because Ma- mankind, because Mick Foley was really the epitome of hardcore. But yes, um, I have. I'll give him that. I'll give him that much. But tag team hardcore. They put like it, the thing to me is like watching them put all these women in the WWE through a table. They both on one level, it was kind of like they were sticking up for the misfits and everything. But then it was like, no, they are psychologically damaged and they do yeah. have these misogynistic, but at least it was played self-consciously. No, it was horrible. It was deplorable. It really was. But it, as far as judging a character, like some characters are like that and they really did portray those characters. And to me in the attitude right. era, they were some of the greatest heels yes. ever. Um, like I said, putting women through a table, not just women, but as we talked about earlier, May fucking young with a neck brace on and an injury at 70 something years old being slammed through a table by the Dudley boys. It's <laughs> just re fucking ridiculous. They were my favorite tag team slash most hated tag team. Okay. Of the time. Number three. We're getting to the top three. Oh, it's brass tacks now. My number three, fucking Lita. Lita. Lita was a badass. It's funny because you have two divas on your list and I have none. That's okay. That is, I mean, but Lita was fucking awesome. I loved Lita. And I think she was hands down like the sexiest WWE. Really? Yes. To me, at the time... Uh, looking back, the the power I guess is is sexy. Like you know, the fact that she was so good at doing the flips, and when she oh, learned yeah, with her, the Hardy Boys, and her independent and stuff. attitude, and yes, yes, totally, absolutely, like everything. Like as more as an adult, that stuff is more sexy about her. But at the time, also I just think sheer physical like uh, beauty. I don't she, know. She was I very pretty girl. Very pretty girl. Uh, to me, I would have considered Sable the sexiest okay. at the time. Uh, I, wouldn't even, I was I liked, in love with Sable when I was when I was a teenager. I liked Cat. I liked Stacy Keebler, but I was never a big fan of Stacy Keebler. Lita is cool as well, fuck, though. I didn't like Stacy Keebler. I just mean if we're talking about who's like the most attractive. Uh, Post Attitude Era stuff. She had a sex scene with Edge. Yeah, on Raw. we're not gonna talk about that. That's that's yeah. I don't. I heard about that and. That, I'm talking Attitude Era Lita. That doesn't okay, fit Attitude with my... Era Lita, she's hanging out with the Hardy Boys. That's who she came with. She was always uh, Matt's girlfriend. Yeah, we're not talking about that. We're not <laughs> talking... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, she, she was awesome. Unfortunately, her career was cut short because she got hurt. She hurt her neck. Uh, she, like the Hardys, did crazy you know, flips and shit. She did for women what no other woman had really done before. No other woman really did a, a swanton dive off the top rope. Amelia you know? Earhart did. But different, we already talked about d- that. Different Amelia league Earhart there. Episode. Different different league. So that's that's a great number three, actually. That totally caught me off guard, and I, I approve. I'm surprised. I fucking loved Lita. I guess we've never talked about it. Yeah. Lita, she's in the top three. The top three were easy for me. One, two, yeah. three. Got it. Now I got to figure out what order to put the rest of these motherfuckers. That was kind of like in. for me. Uh, my number three. We we talked about him earlier in the podcast. 
you said you never really got him. You didn't really like him. And I told you I loved him. And he was so charismatic. The Rock, the people's champ. Like I said, later on, when he came back, I was like, your shit, your shtick is just tired and, and lame. I was uh, like, fuck The Rock. Yeah. Then I, I, was, star. I was laughing at his everything when he had those stupid rock concerts. I, I was glued my eyes to the TV, ju- laughing at every single sexual innuendo he made. I love that. I ate that shit up as a teenager. Um, and he he is he still is uh, and was a terrific wrestler. I appreciate him much more as a wrestler and a wrestling character than an actor or a character in any movie he's ever been in. Okay, well that's fair. There is one movie he's been in that I really enjoyed, and people might hate me for this, but Journey to the Mysterious Island. I thought he was great Never in that. Saw it. I thought he was great in that. Um, all his other movies are pretty much lame and dumb. But his The Rock and Sock was the most adorable thing in yes, wrestling ever. Yes, absolutely. I defy one of you to fucking tell me it wasn't the most adorable thing in wrestling. <laughs> you can say, oh, he was adorable. the best, he was the worst, this was the grittiest, this was the raunchiest, but you cannot tell me anything was more adorable than The Rock and Sock connection. Yeah, and to me is like... Not even Molly if- Holly. <laughs> No, I, I'll argue that. Molly Holly was more adorable. <laughs> I don't think so. But at any time, that music comes If you smell what the rock really is cooking. I think he had the lamest fucking intro theme. It, was, it wasn't it was energetic. Well, it wasn't, but he made it, he this, made it that way because the way he would walk down to the says, ring. The rock says... The rock Shut says, your damn mouth. The Rock says. <laughs> it, it, no, you're right, but the way he came out to it made it because it was so. It was still it entertaining you from to watch the enter- him. Like the way he would walk down the ring. Only there's only a few people that have such a distinctive walk to the ring that is super memorable. And other than the Rock, is Vince McMahon. Because he has that, oh, you know, that the arms yeah, just yeah. the arms just shaking all over. No he's, chance. He's That's basically what you got. He's basically claymation. <laughs> yeah, basically. All right, number two. My number two are the two motherfuckers that were my favorite tag team of all times. Edge and Christian. That's who you wanted to. Edge and Christian, I loved them as a tag team. It was so crazy how radically they shifted from we're vampires that hang out with Gangrel. Yeah, that was such to, a weird Whoa, thing. dude, that totally reeks of hainosity. It's yeah, it brutal. Like... That's what happens. You start smoking weed. For real. <laughs> Canadians again, crazy. Um, they they come out. It was it was just amazing. They were heels, and they'd be like, "We're so awesome. We're doing five minutes to take a picture," and they just pose at each side yes. and then turn around to each to each uh, land to pose dude, for them. I loved every second of it, dude. When they were fucking tag team champions, and yeah, when they were really being pushed. It was they were the three biggest tag teams: Hardy Boys, Dudley Boys, and Edge and Christian. Christian. And I think that's perfect for one tables, ladders, chairs. The introduction of it was those three tag matches. And they perfectly embody those three. The Hardy Boys are ladders. They embody that type of wrestling. The high flying Absolutely. Oh, my God. The Dudley Boys are tables. It's their signature move. They also embody the brutality of just slamming somebody through it. Yeah. And the Edge and Christian are chairs. chairs. Even if it's not. They have the concerto. 
they did. Right, where they where they oh. would they would sandwich a guy like this. Just, this is what they used to do. You know, this was the attitude because the steel chair is sort of symbolic of the sneaky, treacherous bastard. The ref's not looking. Hit him with a steel chair. Yeah. Throw it back towards the Absolutely. announcer table. Pin him. And like, that was Agent Christian. You're yes. right. But even as like a physical thing, like their their signature move together was a guy would be standing in the ring and they would each have a chair and they would yep. both hit him on each side of the head with a chair and they would call it the concerto. Crazy, crazy. Oh, it was tough. It was tough for me. One and two, one and two. Couldn't figure out how I wanted to do it and I finally stuck with it. Really? Okay. My number two is, are you ready? You better get ready to bow to the master. Sean fucking Michaels, the heartbreak kid, uh, founder of DX. Okay. Every he was so much about he like you said earlier with his feud with Bret Hart is the ultimate heel. He was an amazing face too when he actually like became. What a coincidence! He's my number two on my top two WWF commissioners of all time. <laughs> his number one Mick. Lee. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he. I loved his tenure as commissioner. But yeah, I he really was did. great as commissioner. And what was awesome about it, what was awesome about it was he had to take the four-year hiatus because, like I said earlier, he got hurt against The Undertaker in a match and he got basically kicked out of DX, kayfabe. He comes back as a commissioner and is fucking with DX and he's part of the corporation now. It was brilliant, brilliant writing on Vince Russo's part. And a great entertaining personality, a great wrestler. He was totally. the showstopper, Mr. WrestleMania. You name it. He had the signature move, sweet chin music, where you just do a kick to the face. You know, a kick to the guy's chin. It's simple and just so sweet to watch. Like, it, no just watching intended. it. Yeah, exactly. Also, uh, he coined the nip-up, is what it's called, where, like, you're on your back and he just he, you just, like, kind of jump up to your feet okay. without using your arms. You know, just kind of, like, bounce up. That was his thing. Uh, he is... If only Michael Myers <laughs> yeah, <laughs> did right. that in the movie instead. Instead of just sitting up. <laughs> or Undertaker. Can you imagine Undertaker nipping up? <laughs> but yeah, he was uh, the master at overselling moves and shit. Like, he would be on the turnbuckle on the top. And where, like, the guy's laying across the top rope at the corner of the thing. And they kick him in the gut, you know? And he just bounces up, like, five feet. He's just he's so into, like, the only person that did it better than him was Rick fucking Flair. And that's your number one. He wasn't an attitude era wrestler. Again, that that was another thing. Wrestled with Vince McMahon. (laughs) My number one, there was no question. There was no question from you, from me, or from anyone else who's familiar with me. Which is why I kind of skipped over him in my list. The whole reason I started watching wrestling. I played coy about it earlier. What drew me in was the performances of Mr. Mick Foley. Mankind, Cactus Jack, Dude Love. One of the first things I saw from wrestling that I genuinely enjoyed. Not one of, but the first thing that I saw that I genuinely enjoyed. Vince McMahon was in the hospital. Ah, yes. Stone Cold had put him there. exactly what you're talking about. And Stone Cold had managed to sneak in in a pair of scrubs and a mask. Yeah. Beat the shit out of him. While he's in his hospital right, room. Right, right. But before that... Well, after that, they're like, you have a visitor. And he's like, what? What do you mean? And like, it's it's a superstar. He wanted to... And he's like, oh, God, or something. You know, Thinking he's like, it's going to be Stone Cold. And it's Mick Foley. It's Mankind. And, he, and yeah. this is where Mankind turned from this deranged psychopath to this really sympathetic... He was always sympathetic and tragic. But he right. became so friendly. And he's like, oh, uh, Mr. Sacco's here to Funny side note. He, 
funny side note, he actually did that because uh, he couldn't take the punishment anymore of what he was, was doing. That was part of his it had angle gotten was to him. making his character So he a lot decided more to go more in the comedy route. Uh, he wanted to be. He wanted to be more. He wanted to get no more for comedy than just like, okay, I I don't want people to beat the fuck out of me, con you know, constantly. That that I don't want that to be my shtick. <laughs> yeah, let let me use some of my humor. And, well, it is either way. Yeah, <laughs> but since then, like, it's he's he's definitely not only a brilliant mind, but hilarious because he's had a even he's had a were, stretch as a comedian after a writer, WWE, a, a writer, best selling author. If you are not a fan of wrestling, have a nice take day. away from this. If you are not a fan of wrestling, have a nice day. I know you I were just citing the name of his book. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. But it worked in perfectly. Have a nice day. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Ta-da. If you are not a fan of wrestling, take away from this that Mick Foley is the guy that you would probably fall for if you were to watch some of it. Like, that's what happened to me. Once he left, I lost interest. Like, there gradually. It took a while, but... It happened gradually, and he is not – he is the exact opposite of the stereotype of a wrestler. He is the most lovable teddy bear of a fucking guy, the most charismatic, fun entertainer, like a good person. He's donated so much money to, like, fight against sexual violence, to fight against, uh, you know, like a lot of the problems in, in the wrestling business too, you know, with superstars being mistreated and whatnot. He is – Fucking awesome. All the characters he played. So fun. Mankind was my favorite. Your favorite, too, I assume, right? Uh, actually, my favorite was Cactus Jack. Okay. But, yes, yeah, Mankind was great. It was he a close second. had so much personality. It was, hands down, Mick Foley. Can I make you jealous for a minute? I've you met, already have. I've met Mick Foley twice. Yeah, you fucking had a couple <laughs> beers with him and shit. I yeah, met him once, and I didn't get to have any beers we, with him. Uh, we, went to, we both went to Cortland. SUNY Cortland in upstate New York, and he came and he did a little speech for them, and then he showed up at one of the main bars after and was telling stories and stuff, and it was awesome drinking with Mick fucking Foley. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we talked about this in the Brandon Dyer episode. But also during the Attitude Era, when I was a fan of that shit, the week that they were off because the Westminster Dog Show was on, I was with one of my best friends at the time visiting his grandparents in Florida. We went, we go to SeaWorld, and we run into Mick Foley there with his daughter. Oh, oh, I forgot to tell you, last year at the State Fair, I saw him too, but I I was too bitch to go up and say hi to him. Yeah. He, I, di- I didn't think it was him, but then like he started walking away, and I saw a guy approach him. I was like, oh my God, that's McFoley, that's McFoley, that's McFoley. <laughs> and then I'm like, that's McFoley. And then I was, by the time I was like, I'm going to go say something to him, he was long gone. <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess we haven't heard it on either of our lists. I'm somewhat shocked he didn't make yours, but... Thinking back, probably not too Is shocked. It's Stone Cold. It's fucking Stone Cold. I... It's Stone Cold. Stone Cold. Stone Cold. Yeah, he he is hands down the most impressionable, impactful part of the Attitude Era for me personally. He uh, he was there at the beginning of it. He was the prime him. You know, Vince McMahon's rivalry was one of the main draws of the Attitude Era. Uh, you just never knew what he was going to do next. And call it mainstream if you want, but it was the way I fucking liked it then. It was everything he did every week almost was jaw-dropping to me, you know? From when sneaking into the hospital and beating the crap out of Vince McMahon to him bringing in a cement truck and loading up Vince's car (laughs) with it, you know, and just destroying his nice Corvette. Pulling a fake gun on him, making him piss his pants, like on yeah, live yeah, television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. All this stuff. We we talked a lot about Stone Cold. 
We have. So there really isn't much more to say to it. But this is one of the times where I think the best Attitude Era wrestler is my favorite. And that's a fucking wrap. That's our WWF episode. Well, Aww. no, that's our WWF Attitude episode. <laughs> I kind of wanted to go on for like six more days. Guys, scare point. It's like two weeks away. Is it really? Jesus Christ. I can't believe it's already here. I feel like it was just 10 yeah. months ago that we did it. It goes by so fast. It does. And, uh, <laughs> it, that's our Halloween spectacular all October long. Last year, we did... 80s horror icons. This year, the topic is... It's going to be... Monster, Monster Cruise. Monster Groups. Monster Cruise. Cruise. Yeah, Monster groups. Groups. Like, Monster Cruise. It's a Monster Cruise. Yeah, yeah. They 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 booked uh, one of the Royal Caribbean liners, and they're gonna have a cruise no, party a cruise, with all the monsters. But cruise. Hey, what's going like, on? This my Bella Lugosi. Yeah. No. no, the groups of monsters. All October long. The first four episodes, we will cover a different monster crew. The fifth. Well, last year we did Halloween, Halloween for our special. But we can't do that again. What are we gonna do to top that? You'll just have to keep listening to find out. Maybe we'll reveal it next week, maybe the week after, maybe not at all. But when we do reveal it, it will sh- for sure be on our Facebook page. Check it out, facebook.com slash Podcast. It's the best way to get a hold of us, the best way to keep abreast of upcoming topics, <laughs> all of that. You said abreast again. Also, you can check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Podcast. Always. Hey, if you're into like some of that old Attitude Era shit, on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Shaggy the Shaman, all one word, you can find a few uh, Commissioner McFoley compilations. Oh, that's one right. One that highlights an interaction between him and Triple H, one with Stone Cold, and one that's just random assorted WWF superstars and him interacting. And I love that because I love finding on YouTube like nostalgic moments like that. It's great. Great, great, great. Check it out. Tune in next week. Next week, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. You're actually going to have a nice, bit different. full musical album to listen to. But don't worry. Don't worry. It was created by Nathan. It was, well, yeah, it was creative. Don't worry. Don't so worry. It's, so it's awesome. But no, we're still yeah. going to, you're going to get your news. You're going to get your banter. We're going to talk about the album. But then you're going to get to listen to and hopefully give me feedback for my album, titled spiders it's going to be a good transition into the october season i made this a few years ago around october to be released around halloween and you know we'll talk about it next week or the long title this album is full of spiders seriously dude don't open it not really but yes ah that's a david wong book (laughs) from the secret room i'm craig slobberknocker lewis and i'm It was me, Austin. Vince McMahon. It was me. No. Perfect. Amelia Earhart with a triple swan kick dive flip thing. Yes!